This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 136. And this is the first installment of Classic Rebel Radio, where we revisit an episode from the past as I take maternity leave. Today, we are revisiting the interview I did with Isabel Fox and Duke about how to stop feeling crazy around food, which originally aired September 16th, 2014. 2014. This was like revolutionary then. And I'll be answering a listener question on how to work through fear of weight gain. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 136. And in case you haven't heard, as I just mentioned, I'm currently on maternity leave until spring 2019. So the episodes you are hearing here right now originally aired in the first two seasons of the podcast. They are some of your favorites and some of mine. And I, and I hope that you enjoy re-listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to Michelle, who left this awesome review. I love listening to Summer. She has great guests with an amazing perspective on body image and nutrition. I love her get off the diet mentality attitude. I can't wait to listen to more. Awesome. Thank you so much for leaving that great review. Leaving a review helps others to find the show and the information you're learning here. You can do that by going to iTunes searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, and then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. And I also just want to give a shout out to everyone that shares the podcast in their Instagram stories. I, I always check out the stories when you tag me and I really appreciate that too. So thank you. And lastly, if you haven't done so, definitely subscribe to the show via iTunes or whatever platform you use. And don't forget to get the free 10 day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. All right, before we get to this old school interview, I'm going to answer this listener question from Lois. I've accepted my body now, but I worry that it will change and get bigger. I don't know how to deal with that. Okay, so this is really common. And I think when I see people move along the spectrum of acceptance and of body acceptance, I see, I see them coming, most people come to a place of acceptance. They can feel neutral in their body now. But there's still that worry that it might change. And we have to recognize that that is, that is what fat phobia ingrains in us. It is the fear of weight gain and the belief that thinner is better. And so when I hear this, I think, okay, well, there's, there's some fat phobic beliefs that need to be challenged and worked through. 
And that takes a long time. So I think it's really important to go easy on yourself here. This is not your fault. It's not, you can't just switch off these beliefs. They're constantly being reinforced in our culture. And you've probably been believing this stuff for a really long time. So it's not your fault. Have some grace. This stuff takes a lot of time and energy to really overcome. And I think that ultimately, when you get to a place where you can just surrender control, like when you truly believe I don't have control over my body size, like my body's really just going to do what it's going to do. And my destiny is not dependent on that, then that it makes it so much easier to let go. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But if I were to give specific advice here, number one is challenge the fat phobic beliefs. So what are you afraid of happening? What does it mean? If you gain weight? What is the deeper meaning that you've attached to it? Is it that you won't be attractive. And if so, you know, what's important about that is that, is it that, you know, you're, you're afraid your partner will leave you or he won't be able to have a relationship or is it that you're afraid you're not going to be healthy? You know, like the, I encourage you to really break down, like, what is the deeper meaning that I've associated with this? And then let's challenge that, you know, let's challenge those things. So health, you know, like, what what we've learned about health and weight is so much of that is untrue. And I highly recommend reading the book Body Respect by Linda Bacon, if you haven't, to learn more about that. And as it relates to maybe relationships, let's challenge that. Like, do you want a partner that loves you conditionally based on your body? I hope not. And so the, we can break down what it is. And once we can really identify what it is, we can identify the fear and get to the root of what's behind those feelings. And that makes it easier for us to challenge them and perhaps give ourselves some compassion around that sense of fear. So that's number one. Number two, stay in the present. You know, I think it's it's kind of like worrying, okay, what's going to happen to our world? What's going to happen to our environment? What's going to happen if I get on a plane today? You know, there's so many different worries. And I think when we get caught up in future thinking, it's never helpful with anything. So having a practice where we just come back to the present, what is actually happening today? You know, how do I feel in my body today? What's going on in my life today? How is my health today? You know, any anything that else that's else that feels like relevant and important to you and check in with that. Because that's the most important thing is the present moment, because we can't control the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if something catastrophic is going to happen tomorrow or later today, or if something wonderful is going to happen. And trying to control it is only going to give us anxiety about what might happen and, and make it even more, even harder for us to really surrender. And so that was the other piece is about surrendering control. So number three is surrender control. So, you know, this idea that we can control our body and therefore control our destiny is so false. <laughs> it is so false. And so I encourage you to really just kind of sit with uncertain uncertainty, like not knowing what's going to happen in the future and get comfortable with that. Uh, you know, the, they say that we're more afraid of uncertainty than we are of death. And I think that, you know, that's, that's what's coming into play here. And so if we can just really practice surrendering and however that is for you. So some people it's about, you know, kind of like surrendering to a higher power for some people, it's just like, you know, 
this whatever I trust that I'm going to be taken care of or everything is out of my control, you know, whatever kind of a mantra of around surrendering works for you to really let go of control. That's what I would encourage you to practice there. And then the last thing I want to mention is that, you know, sometimes when we have fear over the future, we have this like desire to kind of control what's happening now. It's often because there's other stuff in our lives that's making us feel that way. So check in with your life right now, with your relationships, your work, your life, you know, is there anything in there that feels out of control or like that's giving you anxiety that you're perhaps then turning to your body to try to control? Because we believe that our, we can control our body and therefore control our destiny. And that gives us a sense of safety and certainty, which, but it, it's a false sense of safety and certainty. So that's the other piece of this. And I included this question in this particular episode because Isabel and I get into this and she blows it up in this episode about challenging some of those fat phobic beliefs too. So I think it's a really good fit and you're going to have even more clarity when you listen to this episode. This is by far one of the most popular interviews that I've ever done on Fearless Rebel Radio. And I think it's because Isabel has such a great way of explaining things. And at the time of this recording, which was four years ago, this all still felt so revolutionary to me. And I think to a lot of us, if you think four years ago, I did not know this. She is a trailblazer and the points she mentions in, in this episode still hold up. I listened to it again and I was like, yeah, this stuff is all like nothing's changed. It's all good. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you need support around changing your relationship with food, I highly recommend getting Isabel's free video training series, Stop Fighting Food. You can find the link to that in the show notes for this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 136. It's great and it's free. And if you are looking for further support around that down the road, consider joining the Stop Fighting Food Masterclass that she runs. I know several people who have done that and found it to be incredibly helpful. So I, uh, full disclosure, I'm an affiliate for that, but I truly do uh, feel strongly and endorse it because I think it's it's got really good content in it. And I know people that have found great success going through that program. So again, get the free video training series. You can find that at summerinandin.com forward slash 136 and enjoy listening to this episode. What's up, everybody? I am beyond excited for today's guest. She has inspired me so much, and I have honestly been anticipating this episode for months. Today's fearless, re fearless rebel guest is Isabel Foxen Duke. Isabel Foxen Duke is a certified health coach and emotional eating expert. She helps women make peace with their bodies so they can stop obsessing about food and get back to living awesome lives. Huh, that may sound familiar to you. Her areas of expertise include binge eating, emotional eating, and chronic unsuccessful dieting. After years of trying to overcome emotional eating through traditional and alternative approaches, Isabel discovered some radical new ways to get women over their food issues once and for all. Isabel has been featured in the Huffington Post, Elle Magazine, Exo Jane, and has been praised by Ricky Lake. She is changing the way women think about food and their bodies from the ground up, not just by shifting the mindsets of individuals, but 
but by creating a greater cultural revolution. I love that. Her writing and free guide, How to Not Eat Cake, can be found at isabelfoxandduke.com, which I will link to in the show notes. But I am so excited to have Isabel here today because, uh, you know, if you know me and you just heard her bio, we obviously have a lot of the same philosophies and ideals, and she is one of my favorite people to follow. So I'm super excited to have her here and have you get to know her too. So welcome to the show, Isabel. Thank you, Summer. I am so pumped to be here. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> so before we get started, I, I always, you know, I love our listeners to know a little bit more about you. So do you want to just kind of talk to us about, I guess, you know, your story and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, totally. I mean, so, you know, I, I like I even just mentioned to you kind of off, off radio, um, you know, I grew up in a really intense diet culture, really, really just sort of aggressive focus on the body all of the time. Um, you know, most of the people who listen to me and read my stuff on a regular basis have heard the story of how, you know, my doctor put me on my first diet when I was three. Um, and you know, it's just been kind of, it was always an obsession. My weight was always an obsession, you know, throughout most of my childhood. And obviously therefore dieting was also an obsession throughout most of my childhood. Um, and it, you know, very quickly after I started, you know, screwing around with all these diets, you know, inevitably, right. Like the binge eating comes eventually, you know, I think that there's actually, there's actually been some clinical studies. I know Linda Bacon in particular has done a lot of, um, you know, working around this and learning about this, about the idea that the more you diet, the less capable you are of actually being able to sustain or maintain a diet, like Mm -hmm. just from like a biological perspective. So it's like, I used to be able to go a month to stick to a diet. And then it was like down to two weeks and then it was down to one week. And then it was like, I couldn't go a day sticking to a diet before I like completely fell off the wagon and like lost my shit with food. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, when I say lose my shit, I mean like knee deep in like in the cabinets, like eating condiments with spoons out of the containers, like frantically rummaging through the cabinets, like just eating everything that isn't nailed down. Like that was my story. I was a diet binger for most of my life. Um, I think at some point, like, you know, at some point along my story, part of my story is that I, you know, was like, oh my God, I'm so desperate to be thin. And, you know, I couldn't figure out how to not, you know, I couldn't figure out how to control myself around food. Right. That was my big thing as I couldn't figure out how to control myself. If only I could stick to my diet. Um, so I was like using like stimulant, uh, stimulants to control my weight. Like like I kind of like, just like decided like, Oh, like I'm just going to like eat Adderall and like, that will be great. And then I won't want food and I'll just like have something else to focus on. And, uh, that eventually landed me in some treatment, you know, like that eventually landed me. That was when people were like, "Mm, Isabel, (laughs) like maybe you should like talk to somebody about this. So anyway, so I actually, you know, I, I was in, um, I, uh, you know, saw like every therapist under the sun. I was in, you know, clinical treatment for binge eating disorder at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, I just, it was just a, it was a very long journey where there was a lot of information that was not necessarily super helpful to me. I remember at one point I was in therapy and I, um, therapy was super helpful in the, in the very beginning. And then at some point it was like, okay, like, at some point I was, got the message, go to Overeaters Anonymous. And that's just where you can kind of like live your life, managing your food for the rest of your life through this 12 step program. 
And um, in a way, so like the idea, you know, I was on a meal plan, basically. I was on, the, the whole idea was kind of like, again, teaching people how to control themselves around food. Like teaching people how to just stick to their diet was kind of the idea. And I could never do it, right? Like I could never get time, as they say, in a way, I could never get time. I always ended up binge eating eventually. Like I would stick to my meal plan, which was just a different version of a diet, but it was like the politically correct way to say diet. <laughs> yeah. And then I would, I couldn't, there was like, I just, I didn't have the willpower in me. I just couldn't stick to it. I was working through all of my emotional stuff. I would like, you know, I mean, I'd done so much emotional work and so much spiritual psychology. And, you know, I felt like a very, um, you know, such an enlightened person relative to everyone else. You know, I was really up on my, my self-help high horse, <laughs> except for the fact that I couldn't stop fucking binging, yeah. you know? So, um, Anyway, eventually, as one does, I thank God some, you know, was introduced to like the concept of intuitive eating and Janine Roth and some other really great writers talking about intuitive eating, um, most of whom were talking about intuitive eating for weight loss, which was really attractive to me because I was like, I just want the answer to being thin right now. Yes. And learning that, you know, like, oh, like I can listen to my body, like, oh, my body's giving me information, you know, so that really helped me get over, um, that helped me stop thinking of foods as good and bad, which I think is like, you know, a really important step in this process, right? Is like legalizing foods and not thinking of food, like food as good and bad is a big part of ending the, is like step one, in my opinion. I think that's sort of like step one of ending sort of the binge eating stuff is like not having illegal foods. Yeah. I actually did a podcast on that podcast number two, for those of you wondering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was huge, but I was still binge eating, um, because I was what I, I still was approaching intuitive eating like a diet. Like at some point it was like, I would beat myself up if I would eat when I wasn't hungry, I would beat myself up for quote unquote emotional eating. Mm-hmm. And that ended up backfiring, right? Like that ended up binge eating. And what I realized that was really sort of like the beginning of what I do today. That was really when I started to have these realizations around what I now teach, which is, oh, it's not about intuitive eating versus being on a meal plan versus this versus that. Like that was sort of like, it's not OA versus therapy versus whatever. Like it's, it's this idea that as long as I'm shaming and judging myself and have this idea that there's a way to eat that's right and a way to eat that's wrong, regardless of what that right or wrong way is, it's kind of doomed to fail from the beginning because there's an element of like, I am not in control of what I eat. Like I am going to slip in quotes. Like I am going to eat. I am going, I can't stick to anything. Like, that's the whole point. <laughs> so like, why am I even trying, you know, like, yeah. what if I actually just wasn't on a, uh, a wagon to begin with? Um, as I say, you know, you can only fall off the wagon if you're on a wagon to begin with. So it became this whole thing where I, you know, I started to realize like, oh, it's not the strategy. It's not, it's not the, um, intuitive eating versus the diet versus the meal plan versus this. It's like, you can approach anything like a diet 
if you're thinking about food is like diet mentality thinking, right? Like if you think about food, like it's something that can either, if you're good at it, if you were good that day, then you're a good person. If you were bad at it that day, then you're a bad person. Like what you're eating is like dictating your self-esteem on a day-to-day basis. Like it's only a matter of time before you're going to fall off that wagon and your self-esteem will come crumbling with it. And that's when we fall into binge eating, in my opinion, is like when our self-esteem is crushed by something we ate. Like, oh, I ate a cupcake when I wasn't hungry. I suck. I'm going to go have like three boxes of Nilla wafers to make myself feel better. Or because tomorrow I promise I'm only going to eat when I'm hungry. You know, so it was like very... um, I just started like something clicked and that's sort of like what I'm really trying to do in the world right now is like something clicked where I realized it wasn't about intuitive eating versus the meal plan. It was about like not hating myself around food and like not having, um, not having to be any certain way around food, just like letting things sort of be as they are. And when I started living from that place, when I basically just said like, fuck this, like, I'm just gonna, I'm not in control. I give up. I surrender. I let my food be what it's going to be. I let it be whatever it's going to be. Like, If I eat a cupcake when I'm not hungry, I eat a cupcake when I'm not hungry. If I eat an entire jar of Nutella, like whatever, it's all okay. When I like finally got into the mindset of like, it's all okay. Like I'm not going to let what I eat determine how I get to feel in a given moment. What ended up happening is my food just became normal, like magically. Like it was just like, oh my God. It was like, it it lost its power. Like if I don't give a shit about food, food has no power. Like if you decide you don't give a fuck about what you're eating, it has no power. It ceases. Like who cares? It doesn't matter. It, It becomes irrelevant in your mind. Yeah, totally. So that's sort of, you know, that's my, uh, that's my mission, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's really comes back to relieving the shame and the guilt around food choices. And specifically, you know, you mentioned, you know, when your self-esteem is dictated by your, you know, your food choices. And I think it's not just food either. It's, it's exercise as well. I see this, you know, in, in the same, in the same light. And so, you know, where, where does, where does the, the, the root of the work come from? You know, like, is it from then, okay, let's shift this and, and, and really start working at it from like an internal self-esteem, uh, perspective. Is that like, is that kind of what you're, what, what you're saying here? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's interesting because like on the one hand, I think that I had, I always thought of myself as a person who had like pretty good self-esteem about everything except for my body and food. Mm -hmm. And that's because I had made the decision that there was a right way to eat and a wrong way to eat. And because I had made that decision that there was a right way and a wrong way to eat, if I didn't eat the right way, I sucked around food. So like, in my opinion, it's like, you know, there's, and again, this ties into body image, which we'll like get into, I'm sure in a moment, (laughs) but 
But the idea is like, I'm not sure that like, you know, that I think that this is a problem that anyone can fall into if they make that decision that there's a right way and a wrong way to eat. I don't think you need to be like a fucked up person or have like, you know, like childhood insecurity issues. Like I had a really healthy, happy childhood. I think of myself as somebody who's very mentally, I was very like mentally healthful in like pretty much like all areas of my life, except for the fact that I couldn't stick to the right way of eating, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, I think that that's just sort of like a, for me, just a, it's a clear, it's not that there's not, I think that there's not something wrong with a person because they can't stick to a right way of eating. I think the problem is that we as a culture have decided everyone seems to have the right way of eating. Mm -hmm. And that's become like the new religion is like, there's the right way to eating. And if you're not doing it, you're like doing something morally wrong. Yeah. And so with, with that, you know, let's tie that, let's then tie that to body image. Like, I think a lot of that comes from this need to, uh, you know, appear differently because your life is going to be better if you, you know, if you, if you lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's, uh, that, I mean, that's really what we're talking about here is, is coming to the root of it is that a lot of these issues yeah. around food come from, you know, that internal struggle, struggle to like, want to fight against your body and change your body because you don't like the way that it looks. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, like the only reason anyone has shame and judgment around food is because they're terrified of the quote unquote consequences of anything they eat, right? Like in order to do this strategy, right? Like this strategy of like, I give up, I surrender, fuck it, right? Like in order to like employ that strategy, you have to get to a point where your sanity around food is more important than being thin. And that's a really scary thing for people because yeah, it's easy. If I think sometimes it's easy for a woman to say, okay, I really like the idea of not wanting to lose weight anymore, but there is so much fear and resistance around that. Like, I think it literally, it literally scares the crap out of women. And I'm sure some men yeah. too, but mainly women though, that's what we're talking about yeah. here because yep. they think they're going to then, you know, lose that control or it means like settling on kind of hating right. themselves. And there's so much fear around the possibility of gaining weight. And, you know, that, and I think a lot of idea, a lot of women maybe are listening to this and they're like, Oh, I you know, that, that idea makes sense. You know, I want to prioritize being sane around food, but they still have that resistance internally. Uh, so, I mean, the thing that's funny about that, and I'm just going to, you know, comment quickly on one thing you said is like, I'm afraid I'm going to lose control over food. It's like most of the women I'm talking to, and certainly I fell into this boat, I wasn't in control of food anyway. It's like, we're so afraid of losing control over something that we clearly just don't have control over. It's, yes. like, it's like, you're pretending that you have control over it now. Anyway, you don't like, do you know what I mean? Like you were running around. I mean, at least for me, like I was running around, like eating fluffernutter out of containers with a spoon, like in the middle of the night, hoping no one caught me. Like that is not control. Like what control am I really giving up? You know, I'm just, I think of it as like, you're just working with the fact that you don't have control over food as opposed to working against it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And whether or not, you know, some people have the similar actions, whether they're actually, you know, like eating shit out of the cupboard and like, you know, draining boxes of cookies, they may not, but they, you know, I think a lot of that control just comes on is in your head in terms of the way you're thinking about things and judging things as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people think that like, 
Yeah, I mean, like, people always assume the shit's going to hit the fan if I let myself eat whatever I want, you know, if I, like, wasn't, you know, shaming and judging. I think the vast majority of people do end up eating what they want anyway. You know, I do think that, like, there is um, – I think that, like, control around food is kind of a myth. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really think we have as much control. I mean, like, statistically speaking, like, we definitely don't have as much control over we as we think we do or we wouldn't have this, like, insane statistic where, like, 98% of diets fail. Yeah. Um, you know, so – but ultimately – and then it kind of goes into this whole, like, sort of other question about – I mean, it's a very complex topic, but this whole – other question about like weight set point theory and how much control do you actually even have over your weight like there's so many people who are quote-unquote doing the right things with food and then just end up at you know the weight that they end up at because of their genetics or whatever and think there's something wrong with them so you know there's not I mean I, th- I think that as a culture and a society, we think we have far more control over these things in general than we actually have. Um, and in trying to gain control over something that we don't actually have control over, we end up rebelling and we end up uh, shooting ourselves in the foot. Like we end up making the situation far worse, in addition to the fact that we feel, feel completely insane around food. I mean, like, you know, that's just the little side note there. Yeah. But so, so like, how does a woman let go of that kind of, 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 of wanting to lose weight, you know? Yeah. Like, like, cause it's, you know, what, what does one do if we were to give somebody like a piece of advice about that? Again, I think it goes back to like how, like, you know, asking, asking ourselves the question, like what is more important than this or sanity? Right. And number two, there is something to be said for like, and this is kind of like a deeper spiritual question, but I choose today to take care of my body in a way that feels right for me. And I choose to think of my body. I choose to feed my body like I would choose feed a child or even like an animal. You know, I don't think of my body as something to be manipulated. I don't think of myself as my, of my body as something that I have control over the way it looks or the size or shape that it's going to be. I just want to care for it and love it and be there for it. And whatever shape or size, I trust that whatever shape or size it ends up at is the shape or size it's meant to be. And ultimately, I cannot want that, right? Like I can be angry about the shape or is to force and manipulate and control and be crazy around food. Like yeah. those are choices. Like you have to, I think, I think there's an aspect here where it's like you get to a point where you realize like, what are my actual choices here? Like my actual choices are, I can just take care of and love and be gentle with and listen to my body mm-hmm. and let her and, and relinquish the results. Like, right. Like I always say, like, what are you in control of your weight or your behaviors? You know, like, yes. I can only treat my body with love, respect, and kindness and commit to doing what's right by her on a moment-to-moment basis that as she lets me know what she wants and what she needs on a moment-to-moment basis, where she ends up, what she does when I treat her that way is up to her. 
right? Like I can't force her into anything unless I want to be a fucking crazy person, you know, like, unless I want to be like an abusive slave master, like my body, my body shape and weight and size isn't really up to me. It's not up to my brain. Yeah. The only thing I can do from a, my brain standpoint is just choose to treat my body well. When I'm choosing to treat my body well, when I'm being kind and gentle with my body, my weight, my body is going to do what it's going to do. Yeah, I love it. You know, and ultimately if I'm treating my body well and 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 being kind to my body and treating myself well, it's going to be the weight it's supposed to be. It's going to be the, you know, the way like God, if you will, or the universe or whatever intended it to be, right? Like by definition, if I'm treating my body well, if I'm making choices for my body that are, you know, loving and gentle and giving her what she wants, the weight she ends up with is going to be the weight that she wants to be, that she's happy at. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's, it's about like giving up that desire to want to change it. And this is where I think a lot of the quote unquote, you know, body acceptance movement, Mm -hmm. um, really makes me fucking angry sometimes because, (laughs) because some health experts are, you know, they're like, you know, love your body and they promote loving your body, but then they still promote changing your body. Um, yeah. And you know, that's implying that there's still this conflict inside conflict inside. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we're saying here, what, like, you know, what you're saying here and what we want to be super clear on is that, you know, you, you can't, you have to let go of that control of wanting to change your body. Which is like you said, so going back to your original question of sort of like, how do we do this? The reason that's hard is because of our, is a cultural problem. Yes. The reason that's hard is because there is legitimately privilege like given to thin people and there's legitimate discrimination given to fat people, right? Like that's why it's hard. It's not hard because like we were born with some like weird individual like psychosis where we want to be thin. Like, no, like we were taught this shit. Like it's not your fault that you want to be thin. You're not a bad person that you want to be thin. It is totally like natural, normal, like biological instinct to seek love and acceptance and praise, which is something that as a society and a culture, we give to thin people and something we take away from fat people. Mm, Wow. That's That's really good. Yeah. So like, this is not like, that's what pisses me off about a lot of the body image people. Most of the thin women who are in the, who are talking about body image in this space the vast majority of thin women talking about body image and space are not actually talking about the real social issues involved with like fat politics. And that's a huge problem because it's like, we're just like going around telling people to like themselves without actually addressing the real issues going on. Yeah. So talk to me more about that, you know, like how, uh, cause you know, obviously in your bio, you want to create a greater cultural revolution. How can we do that? How can we promote this body acceptance as, you know, as a yeah. culture and make that shift? And maybe cause there's health experts out there, you know, possibly including myself who are like, Oh, maybe I've never really spoken to it from that angle or, you know, how can I start to do that in a better way? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's a really, really good question. Um, so, uh, 
there's it's a big question. So number one is, and there's a lot of questions involved in this because the one of the difficult things about sort of the cultural bias against fat is that the, we have all of these rationalizations why we should believe that fat is inherently bad, right? Like particularly in the medical community and health community and stuff like that, which um, we now have a lot of, you know, that's a whole conversation. Health at every size is like a whole nutshell in and of itself that may, maybe we'll get into. Yeah. But the point is, it's like, I think we need to, it's, um, we need to start sort of removing, we all have so many, we all were taught these biases around fat and thinness, mm -hmm. right? Or we were all taught these, you know, biases around weight in general. And we need to like slowly actually start to address them and pick them apart. So like pick an area, pick a reason why somebody might legitimately say something. I always ask my clients is like, tell me legitimately why you think it's wrong to be fat. And I'm not being flippant here. I'm being serious because I know you have them because I had them too, because we were, are all taught these things every single day. Yeah, totally. And let's literally go through them and like talk it out. Like, is this true? Like body image work is about challenging your belief systems. Totally. Right. Like 100%. in, in the 1600s, like racism was just a fact. You know what I mean? Like no one like challenged that shit. Yeah. Right. Like it's like this, it's like any kind of, um, any kind of discrimination, exactly. Really. Any kind of oppression. Yeah. Like any kind of like, sort of like cultural oppression. It's like, these are just questions. These are just, we just have, we have assumptions that we were taught. We were learned. It's not our, it's not our fault at all that we were taught these, that we were taught these assumptions and taught these biases. But now just like, you know, when I was had bias awareness day in the sixth grade, Let's challenge our assumptions. Let's challenge, why do I think this is bad? Why am I afraid of this? And challenge the assumptions. So like big topics for fat activists are gonna be things like the health conversation, which I could speak about at length. Um, and there's also amazing great books about it. Uh, things like for women, something that comes up a lot, something that's come up a lot in my personal life is uh, you know, romantic relationships. Like, well, what do I do how do I deal with dating? How do I feel comfortable? How do I get comfortable with this size? How do I not want to be thin in a land where men are actively seeking or I feel like they need to be with thin women? Yeah, that's a huge, huge one. Huge, huge one. I have a lot to say on that too. So you know what I mean? Like, let's actually, let's not, let's stop talking about loving yourself as like a fairy land, like cloud in the sky concept. And let's actually start talking about the real issues that people are dealing with with body image and start talking about them mm -hmm. and that's how we're going to create the cult that's how we create the cultural revolution is we start actually living our lives in in line with our values right so like one thing that you know sometimes the answer is like for example with um with men i'll just go into that example i want you to actually i really do because i can like i know and i know the listeners because I know I hear it from my clients <laughs> so often. So please go into that because I think people are going to really need to hear it. Okay, cool. So um, uh, I've never actually give, spoken about this story in, in public, but I guess I'll just tell it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I remember like it was like, you know, a few years ago, I just remember like, uh, well, I remember I was with a, I was with a, I, I was kind of like hooking up with this guy for lack of a 
better phrase, I'll just like put it like that. Like, yeah, we were, we were hooking up, you know, <laughs> use your own imagination. Yeah, exactly. But like, we weren't dating, like we weren't in a relationship, like generally speaking, like it was like new and it was early and we were friends for a long time before. And I was like madly in love with him before this happened. And, you know, really, I think it was just like, it was an unrequited love situation sort of, but it was like very, it was complicated by all these factors of like, but we were, you know, such great friends. And I I know he loves me so much as a person. So of course in my head, I'm like, why the fuck don't you want to be with me? There must be something wrong with me. Like why is we're not together because you just aren't quote unquote attracted to me enough, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, why aren't we together? If you love me so much as a friend, it must be about my body. Da, da, da. And I would go around and I really just, I will just say this. I still, to this day, I really do think that if I lost 30 pounds, we might be together or like he would be, he would be suddenly interested in me. Like I, when I started taking drugs, you know, and like stimulants and like lost a bunch of weight in college, Mm -hmm. the number of guys who wanted to fuck me went up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a reality. Like that is a reality, right? Like no one's going to deny, like, I think body image activists who deny shit like that are not doing anyone a service because like, we know what the fuck is true. (laughs) You know? Yeah, it's true. It is. It's very true. Right. So like, I'm fairly convinced, like, I'm like pretty sure. So like in my heart of hearts, like, I don't know, he's never said that, but in my heart of hearts, like I was like, I just really feel like I'm just like pretty sure. Like, I feel like this is just like an, like, I know that like, if I looked the way I looked in college, I'm pretty sure he would have been interested in dating me in college. We knew, you know, and, um, and you know, it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like, well, if I lost a bunch of weight, we would be together. And I remember I would like tell, I would like cry to my girlfriends about this, my thin girlfriends. And they would be like, Oh, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. That's not it. Like if you look different, it wouldn't change a thing. And I never really believed them. And that's why I like was never able. And I'd be like, yeah, I guess, you know, yeah, you're right. Like, He doesn't like my personality. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then I finally, I got on the phone with a, uh, a friend of mine who's a fat activist and she was like, she basically said to me, she was like, do you really believe in your heart that like, if you lost 30 pounds, you would be together? And I was like, you know what? Like, I really kind of do. Like, I don't have proof. Like I might be crazy, but like, I really do kind of feel like if I lost 30 or 40 pounds, like we would be together. And she was like, she was like, okay, if it's in your intuition, if that's how you feel, then like, let's just take that as fact. Because like, if that's how you feel, like, then that's what we're working with. So let's just honor that. Okay. Mm -hmm. For the sake of argument. And I was like, all right. (laughs) Okay. She was like, she was like, okay, so now we're working with a fact, which is that you want to be with this guy and he doesn't want to be with you because you're 30 pounds heavier than, you know, he thinks you should be or whatever. Like, we don't really know if that's true, but like, if it's, if that's how you feel, then it's true enough. Right. And she said, now, given these like new facts that we have, do you want to be with somebody who needs you to be 30 pounds lighter than you are? Is that a person you really want to be with? Yeah. Is that in line with your value system? Is that a person you want to have kids with? Some Is people a- might say yes, unfortunately. Right. But that's where the cultural, that's where the cultural shift is happening is in, is in changing your value system, mm-hmm. right? So like my value system right now is a value system of pos- body positivity, I choose a value system today, right? Like my body positivity today is a value system. Meaning like 
I put, I've made the personal decision for myself that I will not, to the best of my ability, judge other people on the basis of size. And I choose to spend time with people who love me in my body right now, as it exists right now, no matter what. Also, just to go back for any of those people who are like, yes, I do want to be with a man who wants me to be 30 pounds thinner. Like, again, it goes back to the idea, like in order for me to be 30 pounds thinner, I would likely have to be a crazy person around food. Yeah. And also, even if I was able to lose that weight, which for me, I'm really not sure is possible. Even if I was able to lose weight and get down to the weight that he wanted me to be, what happens when I get older? What happens when my body changes as I age? What happens when I get pregnant? Do I constantly live in fear that the man I love is going to leave me if I gain weight? Can you imagine how fucked up that would make a person's food? Yeah. How could you not be obsessed with food if you were afraid that your husband or the man you loved or your partner was going to leave you if you gained weight? Yeah. So, I mean, really then comes back to, again, like that your intention to not be obsessed with food must be greater than exactly your need. And I think that comes to like, you know, a need for acceptance from other people, uh, you know, a need for approval from other people where versus having your own self-worth and respect Mm -hmm. as well. You know, yeah. And it's interesting because it's like, again, it's like this myth of control. It's like this myth of approval and acceptance is just pervasive. Like we think we can control how other people feel about us. We can't. Yeah. Totally. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you could be thin and like still not have acceptance. Like, trust me. I mean, I fat, fat discrimination and thin privilege is real for sure. But let's also not like, and, and important. And we need to talk about that. We need to be having cultural conversations about that. However, like, let's not delude ourselves into thinking that by controlling our weight, we can control the entire universe. Which I think is what, uh, you know, I think that's what people really have to challenge themselves on is, is really asking yourself, like, why, why, why do you want to lose this weight? And, and, and keep asking why until you get to the root of it. Because that I, I often will, at least in my experience, it comes back to a perfectionist tendency to want approval and, uh, from others. Yeah. 100%. And that's yeah. the only re- that's just straight up. The only reason why anyone has food issues is because they want to be loved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I think that it's really important for people to, to like, to recognize that, to recognize that. Um, right. and I think that's a really big aha for, for a lot of people because, yeah. you know, I think most people don't take the time to dig into it and they just see it from a very superficial perspective in that, okay, if I lose this weight, then I can date this guy, but they don't look at the deeper meaning behind it, which is like seeking that love. Well, it's also like the idea, and this is another sort of concept for with, with, within fat activism. It's like you, there will be a man who likes you at your current weight. Like fat people get married every day. Mm-hmm. Like 60% of the country of the United States is fat and they are all getting, I mean, not all, but like, Oh, most, I would say that probably my guess is that the majority of them are getting laid. Yeah. You know? So like, that's like a whole nother thing to remember. It's like, again, like I could be crazy and have this guy. I could be crazy around food 
forcing and manipulating my being abusive. Let's just be real. Being abusive to my body. Yep. That's what it is. Yeah. It's abusive. I could be abusive to my body to get this guy over here. Or I could just look for the man who loves me as I am. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it, like, I started to think about it, like with the, with this uh, example that I was giving before, I started to think about it and I was like, or I could just look for the guy who likes me as I am. Like he like probably exists. Like fat people get married every day. Yeah. Like I know there's tons of dudes who are attracted to me. Like tons of dudes are attracted to me. Why would I abuse my body to get somebody else to be attracted to me? Makes like when I really started to think about it, like made no sense. It's like, why wouldn't I like, choose to be with people who allow me to be myself. Like, I think that's a really big value system. It's like, yeah, like you said, going back to this idea of like, I choose for me today, it is a requirement. It is a requirement that any man I date, like, it's like my number one requirement for men is like, they need to like my body the way it is. Like if they don't, they're just off the table as an option. They're just not an option. Like, it's just, I'm not interested. I think it's like, they need to like your body the way it is, but also with the fluctuations that come with it yeah. and loving you despite any body changes that you may have, you know, just mm-hmm. love like the same way that we're encouraging people to love themselves, whatever, in whatever shape and size that they they're given. Totally. Like but, Virgie, Virgie Tovar, who's a really famous fat activist and a friend of mine and, and just an all out amazing, awesome badass said that she had a personal rule that any man, at one point she said to me that basically she had a personal rule that a man not only has to love me the way I am, but I have to have reason to believe that they would be okay if I gained, say, 30 pounds. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's so important. This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by Lamely. So several years ago, a small company called Lamely released a realistically proportioned fashion doll called The Traveler to help boost self-esteem and body image for kids. They were all over the news on CNN, ABC, Time, because this was a doll with average size body proportions. Imagine that. And even better, get this, they also came out with a set of reusable stickers so that this doll or any fashion doll can have things like stretch marks, acne, and cellulite. How cool is that? Right now, they're sending me this doll and the sticker pack, and I can't wait to get it and use it with my unborn child in the future. (laughs) She has super soft brunette hair, seamless articulation, small details like realistic hands and feet. These are little details which we know kids appreciate. The company decided to retire this first edition Traveler doll earlier this year, so there aren't that many left, but you can get your hands on the first edition Traveler doll and a free sticker pack with the things like stretch marks, acne, and cellulite if you go to lamely.com forward slash fearless. That's lamely, L-A-M-M-I-L-Y.com forward slash fearless. Check it out. The holidays aren't that far away, and this would make an amazing gift. You mentioned your value system and being around people who, who like, you know, who like you and, 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 you know, in the body that you have. So I hear this from, 
from so many women and especially my clients that they have people in their life and often it's like their mothers or their family members who feed that, you know, who bring them down, who go against that value system, like who step on those values. So, you know, they'll say things to them like, oh, you shouldn't eat that. Or, you know, you, your stomach is looking bigger today. And it's, you know, it's really easy in the context of dating to say, well, I just won't talk to that person again. I'll cut them out of my life. But when it's like your mother or a very close family member, you know, like, how do you deal with that type of situation? So there's a few different ways to deal with it, depending kind of where you are on this journey. And this is definitely a journey. There's like markers of like progress and like markers of just like where you are and what you might need at different points. So like I say, like, you know, when I was, you know, kind of new to all of this, like I actually needed to have conversations with people in my family and be like, I would really like for you to not comment on my weight because like, I'm trying to like work through whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like you can actually have those conversations. Now, whether or not people respect those conversations (laughs) or not is not in your control, right? Not in your control. So like, that's like plan A, you can have those conversations the thing about those conversations is that like, there's very little, um, you can do about whether or not people actually respect your, you know, anytime you're laying down a boundary, you can lay down a boundary, but there, you have no control over whether or not people respect the boundary. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and I do think there's something we said, but at some point, like you're going to be around, let's call it fat phobia, right? Cause that's a word that is, I'm comfortable with using. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But like, you're going to be around like fat phobic people forever. I mean, like that's not going, it doesn't seem to be as much as I want to create the cultural revolution, the cultural revolution is happening. It's not going to go away tomorrow. Like this is going to be around for a little while. Totally. This is going to take generations probably to like eke its way out of the culture. And, and fat phobia is going to be something that every single person in the, you know, in the world pretty much is going to be exposed to in different iterations. The issue then just becomes like how you respond and how you react to fat phobia. So in the beginning, I think what's hard for people when they interact with fat phobic comments or fat phobic people or fat phobic magazine articles or literature or whatever, I mean, it's so pervasive. It's everywhere. I think in the beginning, what ends up happening is people get really freaked out because they're like, oh shit, what if they're right? Yeah. When we get upset about a fat phobic comment, it's like when I, like we get upset because we're afraid that they're right. Mm-hmm. We get upset because we're still, you know, we're still working through. I mean, there's two types of getting upset, right? Like I get upset in the sense of like, I get angry that that's happening. Like I'm like, oh, yes. like it's so annoying that we live in this culture. So there's that type of upset, which probably never goes away. I still get really upset. I mean, this morning I was really upset about just like, oh my God, like I can't stand all of this like bullshit anymore. Like, you know, it's, it's upsetting. Once you really get to the other side and like see how fucked up this, like, you know, just like all the like fat discrimination and weight discrimination is like it's it'll make you really angry and I think anger is actually not a bad phase to go through with this yeah um but you know at some point you know there's some level of like when it triggers us right like when it triggers us into wanting to diet or when it's like the type of upset where it's like triggering us into behavior it triggers us into behavior because we're still like we're nervous they're right you know? So I think that as we start to become more and more convicted in our beliefs, and as we more and more start to pursue creating a community of people and creating a culture around us that 
supports our belief system, that starts to that the the how upset we are made by those comments on a personal level starts to diminish. Although it will always make you angry, it doesn't like have that same triggering effect. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I can relate to that a hundred and ten percent. I think I think it's like because I've come out on that other side, and so yeah. For the longest time, when I was exposed to those types of things, which I was a lot of. Um, uh, it would drive me into very, you know, like disordered patterns and behavior. Like I'd be like, oh, well then fuck you. I'm going to go like not, you know, cut my calories for a week or whatever. Like that's the way that I would deal with it. But now it's, uh, you know, yeah, now I, I, it doesn't affect, it doesn't affect my, like, you know, the way I feel about myself, it makes me angry and I notice it. And I notice like, it's like the rampantness of it in, in every aspect, you know, and right. especially like with, with, uh, you know, with media and, and like social mm-hmm. media and, and whatever, it's just, mm-hmm. and, and just with everyday life and interacting with people, like it is right. just, it's, it's just there. Well, you get to a point where you start to see it not as your problem, but as their problem. Mm-hmm. Like you get to a point where you're like, like if I saw like a magazine article, if I saw, you know, like the Dr. Oz, like lose your ugly fat or whatever, <laughs> you know, I would like, you know, in my head, like I'm at a point now where like at one point in my life, I'd be like, oh my gosh, my fat's so ugly. I'd make it about me. There's something wrong with me. Oh my gosh. Yes. Me. Now I'm at a point where I'm like, you are such an asshole, right? Like <laughs> you, it's your problem, right? So it's about... We get to a point as time goes on and we start to really, I think, again, it comes down to really understanding the social politics around weight discrimination and, and kind of, I highly encourage everyone to sort of like research that and get into that. The deeper you get into that work and understanding and sort of education, the more you really get clear, like, oh, this is so not about me. This is so about like all of y'all being fucked up. Yeah. And so, you know, you say, you know, you encourage us to like, you know, start to really get into the social politics of weight discrimination, but where, like, where does someone start with that? Like just for people listening, like where would they go? Yeah. I mean, there's so many. Um, so I'll just name you, I'll just name drop some of my favorite fat activists who are really talking about this on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so Virgie Tovar, who I've already name dropped in this conversation one, she's probably my favorite. She, um, I mean, I just love her to death. I, from a personal standpoint, I love her to death, but you know, she's just this incredibly entertaining, bubbly, just wonderful personality. And she is so effing smart. It's insane. She really knows her shit. Um, and she is like one of the major pioneers on the fat sort of in the, in the fat studies world. Nice. Um, and so she's like a, you know, she's, she is a true activist, right? It's the, it's the, it's fat activism, right? It's the people that you want to be sort of like, who I encourage you to sort of like read what they're writing are fat activists, right? They're activists, they're political, they're taking an active political stance, which is, you know, I do that to a certain extent, but like I'm a health coach, right? Like I use, I have an understanding and I have a, um, I have a perspective and a lens through which I do my work. I think everyone does like you do you, everything you do, you do through the lens of your politics to some extent, no matter what, yeah. right? You like you do through your social understanding, no matter what. But, um, 
but I'm not out there like being an activist for a living. Like there's a group of women who are like, they, that's their livelihood is like, they're out there like fighting the fight of, you know, for like, for weight for against weight discrimination and for people of all shapes and sizes to be treated with like the same, like civil rights, literally, yeah, which are now actually seriously being compromised in a lot of different areas, um, which is a whole nother really interesting conversation. So Virgie Tovar is one of them. Um, who else? Reagan Chastain is very brilliant. Um, she has very smart. She's a researcher. She was out there looking for the best diet. She is a like literally like a science researcher who was like, I am going to use my research skills to figure, to find out which diet actually has the single best success rate Mm -hmm. so that I could do that to lose weight. And what she found was that there was like literally none. There was like no diet that existed that had any clinical evidence of having a success rate beyond like three or 4% or something crazy. Um, and that's when she started reading, she got into health at every size and started researching health at every size also is a, is a, um, a piece of literature that I think a lot of y'all will probably find really interesting. Uh, health at every size is a book of research by a woman named Linda Bacon, who, um, basically she studied obesity and weight and diet and food related behaviors for about 20 years. She had like a crazy amount of research, crazy amount of evidence, um, and sort of like clinical support that she actually wasn't looking to, to find, she wasn't doing the study for the purpose of finding these conclusions, but the conclusions of the study, she's a thin woman. The conclusions of the study happened to be that a person's weight didn't necessarily dictate their health status. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She was like, you actually can be fat and healthy. Yeah. You can be thin and unhealthy. Right. Exactly. she, She was the person who basically was like, there is some level of correlation, right? Meaning like if you're engaging in quote unquote unhealthful behaviors, you're like drinking soda all day long and like, you know, not taking care of your, you know, and just like eating shit. This is mainly by the way, also this is largely a socioeconomic problem and has more to do with access to vegetables and fruits than anything else. Yeah. Um, but so that's a whole nother conversation, but basically she was like, she was like, there's some level of correlation between like unhealth and fat because there's a lot of a lot of the foods that people are eating that cause unhealth right or cause like blood sugar issues or whatever also are highly caloric but at the end of the day like if you're fat and eating healthful foods like you're a healthful person totally yeah yeah Yeah, like um so that was like pretty groundbreaking shit uh because most people that is their that is our big national cultural defense for fat discrimination right now is the health argument which uh doesn't actually really seem to stand up to much science which is really interesting um but there's you know again so much money in in the weight loss industry and so much money in uh just the medical industry overall in maintaining this myth um that this has kind of been like an uphill battle for a lot of researchers, but there's more and more researchers who are studying obesity. Like every, like, I feel like once a month there, another book comes out by, by some like PhD or some doctor or some medical researcher who was like, Oh, that's so weird. We just like found out that, uh, actually you can be fat and healthy. It's really strange. (laughs) Somebody come look at this. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like everything with nutrition science really is that (laughs) it's like, Oh no, wait, we were actually wrong about that. 
that yeah. <laughs> that food's actually okay for you. So um, yeah, we'll just sweep that under the rug and move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really super interesting. And there's a lot of like, and this is where I think the fat, you know fat activists and there's you know especially like academics writing this are saying some really interesting things. It's like you can actually trace back in time in the past like hundred years or less when the medical like it wasn't so long ago that like we actually thought that was like a good thing for your health mm -hmm. and then like it turned at some point right like medicine is not just straight fact like medicine is socially um is socially influenced yep yep um so, like, medical sociology is so fascinating to me because it's, like, we are running around, like, thinking that, like, every, like, if there's, like, a, you know, a study, then it's fact. And it's, like, actually, like, statistics can be really skewed. And, like, depending on who's, like, doing these, doing this research, like, lots of things can be screwed up. Biased and, and oh, yeah. my gosh, yeah, don't get me started on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so you can, we can actually pinpoint pretty much like down to a few like core political incidents and you know mainly having to do with insurance companies if if that's a shocker um where fat started to become really villainized and losing weight became a medical suggestion yeah um, yeah. yeah no that's so interesting and I, I just love that you brought that up and i'll link to all those people in the show notes so that people have it too um I do. Uh, I I know we're starting to cut close on time, but I I want to ask you one more thing, um, yeah. uh, and then like wrap up with the final two questions that I wanted to ask you. But really quickly, like because I think this is someone that uh, something that a lot of people struggle with is that they have to restrict foods for. Um, for a specific reason. So maybe they have like major digestive troubles or like candida or, you know, food sensitivities or whatever. So yeah. they actually do have to control those foods. Yep. Uh, I see this so often, you know, how do you find balance between, between those two things, you know, between, between, you know, letting things just be as they are and, you know, giving up control around food versus having to do it because, your body needs you to do it. Yeah, that's an awesome question. This is like one of my favorite questions of all time. So, um, <laughs> well, then I'm glad that I'm squeaking this a little longer. Yeah, I'm glad you that. Like, people, people are often really surprised to hear this, but I actually don't really eat gluten. Um, and that's because like when I eat gluten, like I get like a stomach ache and I have like some like digestive upsets. It's not the end of the world if I eat gluten, but like I've kind of like made a choice that like I'm going to try to avoid gluten like to the best of my ability because it like makes me sick. And also like I have some like history of like autoimmune diseases that may be linked to gluten. I have reason to believe that if I like just was haphazardly eating gluten all the time that like it may be detrimental to my health long term. Yeah. So people are like, you know, I always think people are going to be surprised when they hear this. Um, but the thing is, is like your intentions and your motivations behind why you're cutting out certain foods is incredibly important because again, binge eating isn't necessarily about the intuitive eating versus the dieting versus the whatever. And I think that feeling sane around food is not about what choices you're making around food. It's about how you feel about the choices that you're making around food. Mm, yes. So like if I were to eat a piece of glue, if I were to eat, like go and have a piece of bread right now, I wouldn't feel guilty or ashamed. I'd just have a stomach ache. Yeah. Like there's nothing wrong. Like there's nothing morally wrong with me having a piece of bread. It's just that the consequence of me having a piece of bread is that I'm going to have a stomach ache. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, that's it. 
right? It's not it's a, the consequence of hating yourself and trying right. to get it all in, right? Right. Like I'm actually allowed to have bread. I'm allowed to have gluten. It's just that I choose not to have gluten because it's going to make me feel like shit, not only in the short term, but possibly very sick in the long term. So I think, you know, again, it comes back to still prioritizing, uh, wanting to ditch that the crazy obsession versus, you know, having to make choices from a place of love and because you care about your body. I think that when our motivation is clouded by a motivation to lose weight, shit gets very complicated. I, I, I think that <laughs> that is the headline. Yeah. <laughs> I've ever like heard it better summed up. <laughs> exactly. Like I really feel like it is very difficult to make dis- health decisions for health in quotes around food when you're also secretly hoping that those healthful decisions are going to make you thinner. Yes. You know, and I think that when we can, that's why it's so critically important that not only as individuals, but as a culture, we separate weight and health because in combining them, we've created a lot of unhealth, right? Like we have a lot of people who are like, oh shit, my doctor told me I need to lose 20 pounds. So I'm just going to keep smoking because when I don't smoke, I eat. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, well, what if we just told her that like she was allowed to eat, but just like to eat like the foods that are good for her, whatever, you know? So I think that it's, it's really when we are, when you're, when you're making healthful, healthful in quotes decisions, when you're making decisions for pure health, um, and it's like complicated by this like desire to lose weight. I think that's where shit gets murky. So I think that a lot of the decisions to like just make choices for health tend to settle down on their own when you're clear that you're not making those decisions for weight. And also you don't give a shit about your weight in the process. And I, so I'll give you an example just like, so I think this is important. When I gave up gluten, I was eating tons of gluten-free shit. Like when I first gave up gluten, I was just like going to like gluten-free bakeries and I would just like buy like three gluten-free muffins and like sit down and eat them. I hear like, you. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that I did end up gaining weight temporarily when I first ate, uh, gave up gluten because I was definitely like, I was definitely uh, compensating for giving up some of my favorite foods by like running to bakeries and like buying, like I still had a little bit of that rebellion deprivation shit in the beginning. Cause I was like a little bit nervous about like not being able to eat the foods I want. And I did have a little bit of that natural instinctive fear of deprivation going on when I gave up gluten. And I'm sure that I, re- you know, I rebelled with gluten-free shit a little bit. Right. And I like ate a bunch of gluten-free shit to like make me feel safer and make me feel like I wasn't going to deprive myself. And I'm sure I gained weight. But at the end of the day, like I made the decision that I was going to be okay gaining weight because like my health was more important. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I knew, I knew that like I might rebel by giving up gluten and that I might gain weight if I gave up gluten because I might just want to go eat a bunch of gluten free shit, which is actually what happened. But it was like, I, I decided that giving up gluten was more important, like giving up gluten for my health, for health reasons. It was like, I was willing to gain weight for that. And I think that's also just for your sanity really as well. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. sanity was more important. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, don't be like when we start to get into the, like, 
I'm making healthy choices and maybe this will help me lose weight in parentheses. That's, I think, when we start to like get a little bit, things get to start really get complicated. And I think that we need to like be making healthful choices with this like clear mantra and this clear understanding, like my weight is not in my control. All I can do is take care of my body to the best of my ability. What happens to my weight is what happens to my weight is what happens to my weight. I have no control over what my body chooses to show up as tomorrow. All I can do is just treat her well. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. So now we have to actually do wrap things up. Okay. Okay. okay, Two last questions for you. The, the, the one question I like to ask all of my guests is what is the most fearless thing that you have done? Ooh, um, honestly, the most fearless thing I ever did was decide that I wasn't going to control my food at all. Never, no matter what. I love that you said that I had somebody else on the, uh, Kristen Scott Dixon, which I don't know if you know her. She's amazing. I think it was episode number four, but she said something very similar. And I was just like, wow, that's so kick-ass. Yeah. (laughs) Like how true is that? Like how fucking true, like the most fearless thing I ever did was basically cause what, cause what I was really staring in the face at the time was my fear of maybe not being able to control how other people feel about me. Right. Of maybe not everyone loving me because maybe not everyone would think that my body was perfect and gorgeous and whatever. Right. Like I was steering, you know, I was, I was really staring the fear in the face of what if I gain weight? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, I just decided, you know, step into it, step into the fear and get through it. This shit is so not worth it. Like I can't like at that point I was like, my whole life has revolved around this thing. And that's, I don't see this ending any other way, but then to just decide that I'm okay right now. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. So tell us about Stop Fighting Food because I got a preview of it, uh, of some of the videos and I am really excited. Yay. Oh my gosh. I am so excited. Yeah, you should be. You should yeah. Be. <laughs> so Stop Fighting Food. So basically, so Stop Fighting Food kind of has two parts. So I created this video training series. It's a free video training series. You know, anyone who's listening to this who doesn't think I'm totally insane should go check it out. Um, uh, I think the link will be in the show notes, right? For Stop Fighting Food. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah. <laughs> so the, so the free video training series is kind of like this introduction to my work. And it, you know, we talked a lot about like sort of like basic concepts around, you know, control around food and I actually go into a little bit more depth and stop fighting food about, you know, basic concepts that people often, um, struggle with when they're transitioning into intuitive eating things like emotional eating versus binge eating. Like what causes these things? Like, why are these things happening? What do I do about them? You know, that's sort of like my, my forte is I talk about binge eating and emotional eating, um, a lot. And my just particular perspective on it is that it has a lot more to do with body image than people tend to think. Um, but there's a lot of other things involved with it and sort of, you know, again, go check it out. It's awesome. So that's sort of like a really, the video training series, the free video training series is like, you know, a good introduction to my work for anyone who's interested in what I do. And then, um, there's also, I'm working on a stop fighting food masterclass right now, which is going to be released 
probably a week and a half or two weeks after the video trainings after today, actually, I'm not sure like what the day is, but soon in the next like week or a half or two, weeks. probably when this goes live, because this will be live in about a week. Okay. 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 So, um, yeah, exactly. So very soon thereafter, there's also uh, like a greater sort of program that I'm going to be launching around Stop Fighting Food that'll just go into like way more depth and go into uh, some of the deeper, bigger questions that we kind of started to talk about today. So anyway, the point is Stop Fighting Food is this like awesome flagship program that I've created that talks about all of these ideas and goes into a lot more depth about um, how to really regain your sanity with food and, uh, stop feeling like a crazy person, like rummaging through their cabinets, not being able to stop eating peanut butter out of jars. If that, if that's something that you relate to, um, (laughs) yeah, which I think a lot of people do. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally, totally. And you know, body image is a huge, huge part of that relinquishing control, a huge, huge part of that. So, you know, I think that, I think unfortunately there's so many women who are dealing with this. It's just a matter of spectrum. Like I often think about it. It's not really people who are and aren't dealing with it. It's like, where are you on the spectrum? You know, like, I think that's actually a really important distinction because, you know, you like you obviously use the word binge eating, binge eating a lot. And I think that uh, some people don't understand that, um, you know, that that is a spectrum and that it's not, uh, you know, like it's not necessarily like the like the clinical definition of the eating disorder, I I think, right? Like, am I... Well, I have a very specific definition of the word binge eating, which is not clinical at all, which I literally just made up. Yeah. Do you want to just like spell... uh, We probably should have spelled that at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should. I was like, that's the basic one. We didn't even talk about binge eating. Like, what's going on? So basically, binge eating is, uh, you know, is is, is a reaction to deprivation. It's rebellion eating. It's I fell off the diet. I might as well eat everything that isn't nailed down right now because tomorrow I'm going to get back on the diet and I won't be able to eat these things. Right. So it's like, I'm not sure when I'm ever going to be able to eat a cookie again. So like I need to eat all the stale cookies in the corporate kitchen right now because like they're there and I might not ever see one again. Like it's a reaction to dieting. Dieting Mm -hmm. teaches us how to binge eat without dieting, without restriction, without judgment and shame around food. Binge eating doesn't really exist exist at all. Yeah. Um, and binge eating, you know, and I talk about this definitely in the video series specifically, but binge eating, like you could binge, binge eating has nothing to do with volume of food. Binge eating has to do with the intention and the motivation behind it. Like if you're eating from a place of, Oh shit of a, in some sort of reaction to deprivation, either fear of future deprivation or conversely, I've been dieting and I've been keeping myself back from the cookies for so long. I can't fucking hold it any longer. And I'm just going to dive into the cookies right now because I've been holding myself back for six weeks or whatever, you know? So it's fear of, it's either a reaction to a current deprivation that's going on, or it's a reaction to a fear of future deprivation. Now, when we feel shame and judgment around food, Generally speaking, that triggers a fear of future deprivation because like when we feel fear and judgment and think that we did something wrong, immediately your body's like, oh, she's going to take it away. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like when we feel fear and judgment around food, that's like creates binge eating right there because it's like just by feeling fear and shame and guilt about something we ate, we start to fear the impending deprivation that historically has always come after feeling anxious and, and, and shameful and guilty about food. 
Yeah. So you got to get it in all now. Exactly. I think that, no, I, I'm really glad you said that. I, cause yeah. that was something we probably should have talked up yeah. <laughs> right off the top, but exactly. And binge eating is very different from emotional eating, right? Emotional eating is exactly what it sounds like. It's just like eating over feelings. It's just like, I'm bored. I'm going to have a cupcake. I'm sad. I'm lonely. This will ground me. You know, emotional eating is an entirely different beast. They often get confused, right? People, you say emotional eating and binge eating, like in, like in, they, they like just they completely. get intertwined. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. they don't, people don't know the difference between emotional eating and binge eating. It's like when I ask people what's the difference between emotional eating and binge eating, they usually say, oh, binge eating is just eating more. Totally. Um, and it's like, no, that's not the difference, right? Like that's such an arbitrary difference. Like if it was just eating more, like that means like who defines that? Like who decides what more is like, at what point does emotional eating become a binge, right? Like it's not, that's a bullshit definition. The difference between emotional eating and binge eating has to do with the cause. Yeah. Has to do with the, the intention or motive, you know, drive behind it. What's, what's creating it. Yeah. And the aftermath of the feelings, right? Like, I think that's a big part of it too. Yeah. Although a lot of people feel guilty and shameful when they eat emotionally and then it turns into a binge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. True. Very true. Yeah. No, I actually, uh, cause I know in one of the videos in the free, free training series, like you, you kind of spell out those differences. So definitely like to the people listening to this, check that out because your analogy is really, really good with that. And I love it. Thanks. Yay. Yeah. So that's the type of, that's the type of like stuff that you're going to get. That's the type of info I'm spewing in the video training series. If you're interested. Yeah. It's pretty kick-ass. Like you, you rule pretty much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so th- I will link to all the stuff in the show notes. So I think most of it probably can be found on isabelfoxandduke.com. I'm assuming. No, actually it's all stopfightingfood.com. Oh, okay. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> all the all the stop fighting food stuff is on stopfightingfood.com. Although my blog is on isabelfoxandduke.com, which is also like great information. But there there's we made a separate website for the stop fighting food extravaganza going on. So Okay, perfect. Good. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad I clarified that. <laughs> yeah. yeah you'll, you'll find it either way. But, but yeah, stop fighting food stuff's on stop fighting food. So there you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of your time. I know we ran over a bit, but I just like, I probably need to have you back sometime in the future because I feel like we could go on and on. Um, I think this will probably be one of the best episodes, but definitely, you know, definitely check out isabelfoxanddude.com and stopfightingfood.com which again launches Tuesday, September 16th. And you really, really, really want to sign up for this. It's so awesome. So again, that's stopfightingfood.com. Thank you so much for being here, Isabel. It was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Summer. This was awesome. Yes, this was awesome. I loved it. And uh, that's it. So until next time, rock on. So many good quotes in that episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing it for the first time or listening to it again. Don't forget to get Isabel's free video training program, Stop Fighting Food. You can find the link to that in the show notes for this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 136. And I will talk to you soon. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, 
Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.